Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Hey, um, we are going to take a look at Luke, uh, the story of the nativity in Luke chapter 1, and we're going to pick it up at verse 26. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, please do. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. If you need a Bible, we got one in the back. You're welcome to grab one and, and read along with us. Luke 1, verse 26. Now in the uh, excuse me. <clears throat> now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, "Rejoice, highly favored one! The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women." But when she saw him. She was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and Jesus, excuse me, and he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born uh, to... Therefore, also that holy one who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him. From generation to generation he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. 
And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. So that's the story that we're going to be looking at this morning. Now the angel Gabriel, just to kind of sum it up there, was sent by God to Mary, right? Mary was the virgin. She was betrothed to a gentleman by the name of Joseph. And the angel was sent to her. Gabriel was sent to announce that she was highly favored by God and that the Holy Spirit would come upon her and overshadow her and she would conceive a son who would be the Savior. She's taken in all this news and then Gabriel informs her that Mary, her cousin, who's an older lady by this time, has also conceived a son in her old age. And so Mary goes to visit and stay with Elizabeth and her husband Zacharias. I don't think Zacharias was good company because at that point, you remember, recall that the angel muted him because he disbelieved the birth of, of John the Baptist. And so he was, he couldn't speak. So it was just, you know, Mary and Elizabeth, Zacharias probably just sat there. Who knows? But, um, but what's interesting is when Mary enters into the house where her cousin Elizabeth is living and she greets uh, Elizabeth, it says John the Baptist, that's the babe in her womb, uh, still in Elizabeth's womb, does one of these things. <laughs> I can't even do it. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I was holding on to the podium. I, I'm going to usually get injured doing stuff like that. But that's kind of what the baby did. The baby did a you know, woo-hoo, high five, jumped, and maybe did a somersault. Some of you women that have been pregnant before know exactly what that feels like. Uh, it's not too fun, I'm sure. But here, John the Baptist does one of these greeting things. And not only that, but Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. How awesome would that be, wouldn't it, for you and I to be so full of the Holy Spirit that you go over to someone and you greet them, and now all of a sudden they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't that be mad? You know, if this story had taken place in Minnesota, and it was in the summertime, and Mary got bit by a mosquito, I bet you the mosquito would have left singing, there's power in the blood, power in the blood, (laughs) wonder-working power in the blood. (laughs) Well, we're going to take a look at verse uh, 46 on. At this point, starting in verse 46, Mary starts worshiping the Lord. And it's known as the Magnificat. That's taken from the Latin version of the New Testament where verse 46 begins with the word Magnificat. That's where we get that that title. Uh, So this morning we're going to take a look at Mary's song of praise. But before we get to that, I want to draw your attention to verse 28, what the angel Gabriel said to Mary. You recall there in verse 28, he said, Rejoice! Highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. That word, highly favored, it comes from the Greek word charis, which means grace. It means to be accepted by God, to be an object of God's grace. And that particular form of that word, highly favored, it's used only in one other place in the Bible. It's only used in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. But I'm going to back up to verse 3 because Paul has run-on sentences. He said you've got to start at verse 3 to get the whole sentence. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. 
just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, and here's that word, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. It's the only other place where that's used in the Bible. So the miraculous birth of the Savior was a work of the Holy Spirit, right? And it's unique. There's only one person in history that this happened to. But it is also analogous to the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer, in a person who accepts Jesus Christ into their heart, and they're reborn. We'll see some similarities in what Mary says to what the believer experiences. So what Mary, filled with the Holy Spirit, says in verses 46 to 55, describes what the Lord does in the believer and in the world. So that's what we're going to look at for this morning. So looking at verse 46, what did Mary say? Very first thing Mary says is, My soul magnifies the Lord. To magnify. You know, when I was a kid, I loved magnifying glasses. Well, you had this real cool big one, and I used to get out in the summertime, and I would get a little piece of cardboard, you know, and I'd get that beam of sun just right till that thing started burning. Then I got the idea to do it to bugs. So I'd get a bug, and I'd pin a bug down, and I'd get that thing and just get that fry on the bug, you know. Sometimes it would stink, but it'd be kind of, as a kid, man, it was fun to watch it sizzling and everything. It's like, I have the power, you know. But that's what magnifying does. It makes something look bigger. In fact, if you're older, right, you use it to read stuff or look at things. Um, but that's what a ma- to magnify means. It means to make great or to enlarge. And by the way, just about everything that Mary says here in these verses is out of the Old Testament. It's like she was well-versed in scriptures. In Psalm 34, verses 2 through 3, it says, My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. See, the Lord became magnified in Mary based on her personal experience with the Lord. I mean, think about it. Literally, the Lord is dwelling inside of her. And literally, as time goes on, the Lord is starting to grow inside of her. So Mary, as I mentioned earlier, all these scriptures, all these verses she says, pretty much are taken from the Old Testament. So Mary was obviously well-versed in Old Testament scripture, and so she probably knew of the Lord from her upbringing. Well-versed in scriptures. Maybe you're a person here who grew up in a home where the Bible was read all the time. You're well-versed in scriptures. So she knew of the Lord uh, from her upbringing, but now, hey, the Lord's inside of her. Now he's dwelling inside of her. That's totally different. That's similar to what Job expresses in Job 42, verse 5. At the end of 41 chapters, and you know the story of Job. He went through terrible things in his life, and, and he, you know he's got these friends that start saying, well, you must have did something wrong, you know, because God wouldn't do that to a good person, and, and all those, those arguments. And then Job is trying to defend himself. And at, at four, chapter 42, then the Lord shows up. And in chapter 42, verse 5, Job says this, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. See, Mary had this understanding of who the Lord was, but now the Lord's inside of her. Now the Lord, we know, 
holds the universe in his hands, right? He created everything that exists. So we don't make the Lord bigger, or we don't make him smaller. Nothing we can say or think changes God himself, right? In any way, God is eternal. God is omnipresent, omniscient. God is everything. He's all-powerful. But to you and I, in our own estimation, God is either big or small. Sometimes, maybe you've heard that question before, how big is your God? It's not that God is small, but how big is he in your estimation, in your heart? Do you believe he can do anything? Is he more powerful than anything that you're facing this morning? How big is your God? And notice that Mary says this too. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. What is the soul? The soul is your mind, will, and emotions. So with her mind, she magnified the Lord. Think about this. When a woman discovers she's pregnant, it affects her thinking. It has to. Now all of a sudden you realize, I've got a baby growing inside of me. Maybe I should not smoke that cigarette. Or maybe you're out, you know, the Christmas party. You know what? I'm pregnant. i got a baby. Maybe I shouldn't have that mixed drink. Maybe I should skip those things because i got a baby inside of me. Or maybe, you know, you're around the house and, maybe, you know, I probably shouldn't use that cleaning, those chemicals and stuff because I don't know if it's going to harm the baby. Or maybe I shouldn't be doing this or that activity. You're mindful of the baby inside of her. The awareness that a child is inside her affects her thoughts too. She's probably thinking, well, I wonder if it's a boy or a girl. I wonder why I should name her or him. What are, who are they going to look like? Hopefully not like their dad. <laughs> you know? um, what sort of person are they going to be when they grow up? You know, All these things, a mother who's expecting, or probably the first one especially, all those thoughts are just running through her mind. With her mind, Mary was thinking more the Lord. She thinks about the baby in her, and so in that sense, the baby is magnified in her thoughts. So Mary's focus was on the Christ child inside of her, but so it is with you and I, the believer in Jesus Christ, right? He's in our hearts, and so we think of him, we're aware of his presence inside of us, and he is magnified in your thoughts and in your mind. So not only with her mind she magnified the Lord, but with her will she magnified the Lord. So at this point, now that she knows she's pregnant, she's making conscious decisions based on the fact that the Christ child was inside of her. And so it is with the believer in Jesus Christ. Where now we have this relationship, we know the Lord is dwelling in us. It's like, what would Jesus do in this situation? What would he want me to do in this situation? Maybe we'd be thinking, you know, because the Lord's in my heart, I'm not going to go do that thing anymore. Or maybe because he's in my heart, I am going to go do this thing. Because I know that would please him. Not only that, but with her emotions, she magnified the Lord. See, her soul, mind, will, and emotions. As the days go by, there's got to be a growing emotional attachment to her baby. Her love for her child, her bond with the child being nurtured inside her, it's got to be growing. And so it is with the believer in Jesus Christ. The only difference is we're not nurturing him. All right, He's nurturing us in our walks with him. But as the days and the years go by, man, our love and our devotion to the Lord grows. We grow to recognize the voice of our shepherd. We start to hear him. I, I hear you, Lord. I hear what you're saying. We see his interaction in our life, 
And he increasingly means more and more to us. And think about this. As the days go on, Mary's going to begin to show more. I don't know at this point she was showing. You know what I'm talking about. You know, the belly's starting to grow a little bit, expanding. There's this becoming obvious. I've learned one thing. I've learned never to ask a woman if she's pregnant. I just, I just don't do that because I've made that mistake before and the person wasn't pregnant. So I just like, oof. But, but you know, it becomes obvious after a while. Her abdomen's starting to grow, but it's not only the obvious things. You know, maybe she's starting to walk a little differently or whatever, but they have that glow. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? I've seen it in those. And pregnant women, they have, that, that just, they have a glow about them. So as Mary was beginning to show more and more that the Christ child was growing in her, let me ask you this. Is your life a magnifying lens allowing others to see him in you? Because that's the issue. Well, let's continue on here. Verse 47. She says this, And my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. That could be taken right out of Isaiah 12 too. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for Yah the Lord is my strength and song. He has also become my salvation. Now the Roman Catholic Church, and I didn't grow up Roman, so you've got to forgive me if I don't get it straight exactly, but they believe in Mary's immaculate conception. And I always thought that meant Jesus was born immaculately. You know? But no, it actually refers to Mary. According to the, the, the doctrine, the Catholic doctrine of immaculate conception, Mary was herself conceived sinless in order to carry the Christ child within her. But you see, there's a problem here when you look at this verse. Because she says, my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. And only sinners need a Savior. You know, a lot of people will acknowledge that Jesus is the Savior. But like Mary, is he your savior? Is he your savior this morning? You know, it's not just a matter of acknowledging a historical Jesus was born in Bethlehem. There's a lot of people today that will believe that. You, you probably ask people around, what's the true meaning of Christmas? They probably tell you it's because there was a baby Jesus, that a historical Jesus that was born in Bethlehem. But it's not even just a matter of, of acknowledging that he lived and died on the cross for sin and that he rose again from the dead. Because I've talked to people who, who say, yeah, I agree with you. And yet they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. See, because it's all those things, but it's also recognizing that he died for your sin. And that's where the rubber meets the road. That means confessing that you're a sinner. That means also repenting, which basically repenting means turning away from your sin and then asking him to come into your heart to be the Lord of your life. You can acknowledge all you want that Jesus existed and he did all those things, but until you take those steps yourself, he doesn't come inside of you. You don't have that personal relationship with him. And so verse 48, she says, For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant, for behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. So it kind of makes you wonder, what was Mary's lowly state? Well, first of all, she was from Nazareth. Nazareth was in the Galilee region. And all inhabitants of Galilee were looked down with contempt by the people south of them in Judah. The Galileans, they spoke with a ruder dialect. 
It was a recognizable. Maybe they had a twang or something. It was, just, it was recognizable. Their, their dialect was recognizable. The Galileans were considered less cultivated. Their men probably wore mullets and you know wore purple zumbas to Walmart up there in Galilee. I, I'm, just, I'm just guessing. I hope none of you get that for Christmas this year, Zumbas, Zubas. I've, I was calling them Zummies, and I was like, Teresa, what are the name of those funny pants? And You know, I'll have to admit, because someone asked me that, I did have the mullet, but I never had the Zubas, man. I never, never took that step. But The Galileans were considered less cultivated. Not only that, but Gentiles lived out, or lived around and among that Galilee region, And so the Jews in Judea looked at them and thought that they were tainted by that influence of the Gentiles. So being from Nazareth, being from the Galilee region was looked down upon. But being from Nazareth was that much more worse. It was especially bad. Because you'll recall even Nathanael. And Nathanael, by the way, was a Galilean. But when he found out that Jesus was from Nazareth, he said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, that's like the pot calling the kettle black. So not only was Mary from the wrong side of the tracks, so to speak, but she was young. Most scholars think she was probably anywhere between 14, maybe at the most 16 years old. More likely, she was between 14 and 15 years old. She was betrothed to her husband, Joseph, and they were poor. How do we know that? Well, because later on in Luke chapter 2, they're supposed to present an offering for the birth of their baby to the temple. And the, the, the rule was you bring a lamb. But in the Old Testament, there was a provision where if you couldn't afford a lamb, you could bring two turtle doves uh, or two young pigeons. And that's exactly what they did. So it became, we can infer that they were poor. But you see, being young, poor, and from the wrong side of the tracks doesn't make a person humble. It doesn't. I've known many poor people that are very proud. <laughs> Pride is a matter of the heart. It comes from within, not from without. The Bible says God has regard for the poor in heart. Isaiah 66 verse 2, But on this one I will look, on him who is poor and of a contrite heart, and who trembles at my word. Jesus put it this way in the New Testament in Matthew 5. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's not physically poor. You're not blessed if you're poor. You're blessed if you're poor in heart, if you're humble. That's what it's talking about humility. So she says, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. And then she says, before behold, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. And she certainly was blessed, right? She was favored so much to carry the Messiah in her womb. But you know, you as a believer, you're blessed as well. Because Paul says this in, first, in Ephesians 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We're blessed too. Now Mary was blessed and she is blessed, but she's not to be worshipped. And that's where people make a mistake. I like what Albert Barnes, a commentator, says. He says, It is therefore right 
to consider her as highly favored or happy. But this certainly does not warrant us to worship her or to pray to her. Abraham was blessed in being the father of the faithful, Paul in being the apostle to the Gentiles, Peter in first preaching the gospel to them. But who would think of worshiping or praying to Abraham, Paul, or Peter? So then in verse 49, Mary says this, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. In Jeremiah 31, verse 22, this is a prophecy that the Jews considered a messianic prophecy. They knew it was referring to the Messiah. It says, For the Lord has created a new thing in the earth. A woman shall encompass a man. That's a new thing. The virgin birth was a miracle that only the power of the Holy Spirit could accomplish. The miraculous transformation of a virgin to an expecting mother is nothing short of a miracle. There's no other way to explain that. But so is the regeneration of the believer in Jesus Christ. It's a miraculous transformation that takes place in you and I when we, we go from being a condemned sinner to the Bible says a justified saint in the eyes of the Father. That's a miracle. It can't be done by human means. It can only be done by a work of the Holy Spirit. And all the credit goes to the Lord, not to us. In Hebrews, the writer, I like to think of him as Paul, but the writer, whoever his name is, in chapter 5, verse 9, he says, And having been perfected, he, speaking of Jesus, became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. The author. He's the person who initiated our salvation. But not only is he the author, the Bible says he's also the finisher in verse 12. Looking under Jesus, the author, in Hebrews 12, excuse me, verse 2. Looking under Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's a comfort to me. First of all, I couldn't, I couldn't get myself saved. It was a work of the Holy Spirit. And now I can't get myself unsaved. I mean, the, the Lord, is, is, he's, he's got me in his hands. That's a comfort to me when I blow it, when I do things I shouldn't do. And I, I, then I go back to 1 John 1, 9. Lord, please forgive me of my sins. And the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the Lord doesn't merely save us, but he transforms us day by day into his image. And he's always working on our behalf. Paul wrote this in Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. He's working in our lives. He's transforming us into his image. Now at this point in this passage, Mary moves from the Savior's work in her own heart to the work of the Savior in the world in general. Verse 50, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. That taken from Psalm 103, verse 17 and 18. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant and to those who remember his commandments to do them. What does it mean to fear the Lord? It's not fear of harm or retribution, but it's a reverence. It's a respect for the Lord and for his word, the Bible. You read it, you heed it, you obey it, you apply it in your lives. 
I love this verse. Psalm 147 verse 11. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him, in those who hope in His mercy. Are you this morning hoping in the Lord's mercy? I am. I am. Lord, I I need Your mercy. If you're hoping in, in His mercy, He's taking pleasure in you this morning. He's smiling. I love to extend mercy to those that are asking for it. Verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Did you notice the contrasts in those three verses? The Lord's strength is revealed in contrast to the imagination of the proud. And I like how it says the imagination of the proud. which It means their thoughts. But I like the way the Bible says the imagination of the proud. Because in reality, they have nothing to be prideful about. <laughs> it's just puffed up. It's in their own heads. I used to work with a guy that was extremely proud. And... He, uh, to make a long story short, he gained a reputation in the workplace of being a legend in his own mind because that's what he was. Man, you couldn't tell him anything. He was so prideful. So the Lord's strength is revealed in contrast to the imagination of the proud. And here's the other one. The mighty are put down while the humble, or the lowly, I should say, the humble are exalted. You know, Jesus says this, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. When are you and I going to inherit the earth? The thousand year reign of Jesus Christ on the earth. We're going to reign and rule with him. The meek will inherit the earth. Here's another contrast. The hungry are filled with good things, while the rich who have no need, I put, that's my emphasis, are sent away empty. Jesus put it this way, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. We're going to be looking at the church of Laodicea in Revelation coming up next. And they're a church that said, I'm rich, I'm wealthy, I don't need anything else. And the Lord says, you don't realize how poor, blind, wretched, and naked you are. But if you're here this morning, and you're hungering, and you're thirsting for righteousness, you know, man, Lord, I'm just not there yet, Lord, I need you, I need your righteousness. He's going to fill you with what you need. I read an article. I was reading a lot of articles yesterday. <laughs> I read an article um, <clears throat> that some of the law, lawmakers, and you might have heard this already, they now believe that there were a lot of pro-Hillary biased FBI agents involved into the investigation of the emails, you know, the email scandal. And that those agents that were biased towards Hillary Clinton they were involved in that uh, investigation. These lawmakers have now, they now believe that those same agents went and changed the wording of Director Comey's statement. Remember, he made that big statement. It was a big deal right there before the elections. And the wording, the changing, they just changed some key words that made the difference between what she did being identified as being criminal to the point where it was just being careless. And now it's almost like they got a smoking gun at this point. But one lawmaker, the one that was interviewed in this article, was quoted as saying, 
they want to prevent anything like this happening in the future. That's why they're doing it. They just want to prevent it from happening in the future. And what that sounds like to me, in my opinion, she's going to get a free pass. Now, whether, you, whether or not you voted for her or not, that's not an issue. I personally believe she broke the law. You know, there should be a, there should be a consequence for it. But it sounds like because of her power and connections, she's going to get a free pass. But they're doing this investigation because in the future, they don't want anybody to have that kind of sway. Well, I look at that and go, man, where's the justice in that? You know, you look at this world, and that basically describes the world, right? The rich and the mighty are above the law. They pull the strings. That's just, that's just the world system. We can get all up in arms about it. We can get all up in a huff about it. But guess what? That's the world that you and I live in. But here Mary is prophesying that her son, the Savior, is going to eventually upend this world, economically, politically, socially, you name it. Every injustice, every crime, every act of violence, every wrong is going to be made right when her son, the Savior, sits on the throne of David and rules from Jerusalem. Like I said, we've started a study in the book of Revelation Sunday mornings. And for some people, you know, they, they, they get into the book of Revelation and it's like, man, I, I, I don't know. You know, it's, it's all these things that are foretold in the book of Revelation. They're ominous. You know, they're frightening. I, I, I'm not sure about it. But guess what? It's also comforting to know that this world system that you and I are in, that it's going to be replaced with a rule of righteousness. Everything's going to be changed. Everything's going to be completely flipped around when Jesus reigns on the throne of David, when he comes to reign and rule for a thousand years. Now Mary knew, and we know, that change is coming to this world through the Savior. But you know what's a sad thing? There's a lot of Christians, or some Christians, I'm going to say a lot, they live in this world as if this world is going to continue, the system's going to continue. They're just part of the system. They're, they're, they're trying to get ahead in this system. And I look at things... In fact, we're going to look at some stuff probably next week because it's the end of the year. But there's some things happening worldwide that's it's, it, it's significant prophetically. And it's my opinion the Lord's returning soon. It really is. And so, anyways, um, but here Mary is prophesying that the Lord is going to upend all these things that are wrong in the world today when he ruins, rules and reigns. And then finally in verse 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Mary recognized that the child she was carrying was the fulfillment of God's promise to Israel, to Abraham and to his offspring. God had kept his promise. How many, how many hundreds of years Thousands of years had gone by, and, and the Jews, and now they're now they're being controlled by Rome and things. You know, the house of David. Think about it. God had told David, "You'll never have, you'll never lack to have a son reign on the throne." And who's the house of David at this point? It's Jacob. He's not in any kind of royal family. He's a carpenter in Nazareth. But here she recognizes that God is fulfilling his promise to Israel with the birth of her son, 
Jesus the Messiah. And because Jesus was born, I mean, we, we celebrate the birth, you know, you, we look at it as a historical event. But guess what? You and I can also trust in God's word for us because of the birth of Jesus. Because God is faithful and he keeps his promises. In the book of Joshua, Joshua's an old man. He's, he's brought the people into the promised land, basically. They've fought all these battles, and God had promised this land to Abraham. And in Joshua 23, verse 14, Joshua says this to the children of Israel. He says, Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. It means he's going to die. And you, know that in, and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you, all have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. And you can look at God's promises in the Bible that have been fulfilled. They've been fulfilled literally just as he spoke. And so the birth of the Messiah, the birth of Jesus, you know, we don't just look back on it as a being the fulfillment of God's promises, prior promises to Israel, but his birth is a reassurance of God's promises to you and I this morning. And I want to leave you with one of his promises to you and I. John 14, verses 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Because Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, you can trust that God's going to be faithful to his promises to you this morning. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you for filling Mary with the Holy Spirit, Lord, that she prophesied all these things. And Lord, we look at our relationship with you. And Lord, we see the similarities. Lord, we see the pictures of our life with you. And we thank you, Lord God, that you are in our hearts. And Lord, I pray for everyone here. Lord, I don't know if everyone here has a personal relationship with you this morning. Lord, if they don't, I pray that they would recognize that they need that relationship with you. It's not enough to just believe that you were a historical person, that it's not even enough to believe that you died and rose again from the dead. But Lord, that they need to take that next step to acknowledge that they're a sinner and that they need to turn from their sins and that they need to invite you into their hearts. And Lord, your word says when we do that, Lord, that moment we're born again, that moment we have eternal life. And so I pray for everybody here, Lord, that they would have a personal relationship with Jesus. And Lord, for those of us that have made that step Lord, I pray that as we reflect on this passage of Scripture, Lord, that we would be reminded of of just the fact that you are in us, that you're dwelling in us. And Lord, that just like Mary was mindful about what she was to do, Lord, her mind, her will, and her emotions were magnifying you. Lord, I pray that this morning that our minds, our thoughts, our will, our choices, our actions, our emotions, our love, Lord, would be magnifying you and that the world might see you through us. So I thank you for your word this morning. And it's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.